Hello, my friends. It's easy to get caught up in a routine where we wake up, head into work, and then head home and repeat. And while this works just fine for plenty of people, the truth is, if you want to get ahead in life, you have to do better than average. And to do better, you must focus on the areas that you want to improve and invest in yourself. It takes commitment to improve yourself. It takes discipline to stick to the commitments that you've made. Those times when you say, I don't feel like it, or I'll do it later, are the exact moments when someone is outworking you and they're improving and getting ahead. Even if it's only five or 10 minutes a day, it's those small actions over time that create great leaders. Every day I see great people taking action here at LeaderBits to improve their skills and become better leaders. So I wanna take a moment to give a special shout out to those people who are growing and improving on LeaderBits. You've got Matt, Amy, and Tony over at Cradle Point with over a hundred different engineers there. You got Ignacio and Jer out in Uruguay, and you got Ben and Colin at BIM Object with a bunch of other great engineers. There are over a thousand people on the LeaderBits platform, which makes me extraordinarily excited. Pay attention to these people and companies as they are intentionally stepping up their skills. If you want the results that they are getting, sign up for a free trial at leaderbits.io. Speaking of companies who are rapidly growing, today we are talking to Andy Fang, the CTO of DoorDash, and we discuss how they took a small startup at Stanford and grew it to a company valued at $1.4 billion. Having an open mind to be aware of what you don't know and how to celebrate the victories while still pushing forward for more. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. What is up, man? Hey, good, good. It's great to, great to be chatting with you today. Dude, I'm so excited. What time is it over there? Uh, 9 a.m. Where are you located? We're actually over on the East Coast, so it's, okay. about, it's about noon for us. You're, you're in Florida? Yeah, man. Oh, I'm in Florida. Great. Awesome. Very cool. I'm excited. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm uh, very stoked to, to chat with you and uh, curious to see how this conversation, uh, where this conversation takes us. Me too. It'll probably explode. You are a, <laughs> you are a nightmare. No. Uh, so are you familiar with how we record? We just talk like we're recording right now. And so there's really no like official start. We just chop it up to make us sound awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I've done one or two of these before. So, so DoorDash right? Tell me a little mm -hmm. bit about DoorDash. Yeah, so DoorDash, we're a little over five years old now. Um, we uh, started actually when we we're all students at Stanford um, back in 2013. Um, our goal at the very beginning was really to build something to really empower local businesses of any kind. And um, at the time, we interviewed a bunch of small businesses throughout the Bay Area. I mean, like retailers, uh, salons, toy stores, and then restaurants. Um, and we really landed on a compelling use case that we heard from a lot of these different local business owners, which is really around local logistics. Um, and so from the beginning, we uh, wanted to build this local logistics network to really help empower these local uh, business owners. And so, the, the first use case was always restaurant delivery, and that was a very natural use case for us at the time. And that's primarily what we do today is restaurant uh, on-demand delivery. Um, 
this year has been a very exciting year for me personally because this is the first year where we've really started to expand beyond just delivering restaurant food. Um, and so, for example, uh, we have a partnership with Walmart delivering their groceries for them. There's some other exciting opportunities as well that we have lined up. But in general, uh, you know, very excited about really how we build a logistics platform. And that's really how we view ourselves internally. Nice. Do you feel like the big awesome problem that you solved was the logistics engineering problem? Mm-hmm. That's real smart. Mm-hmm. How did you get Walmart, man? That's awesome. That is a great question. Uh, with any big national uh, company, it takes a long time, as I'm sure you know. As oh, yeah. You've talked to people who've been through this kind of thing as well. I mean, it's multiple conversations. It can take easily over a year. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we landed the partnership. We, I mean, we had some experience, to be honest, dealing with large restaurant uh, national chains. Mm-hmm. So we kind of built that muscle internally to really, you know, build these relationships with these bigger companies. And so uh, Walmart naturally came out of that. Did you get involved with that as the CTO? Did you show up and, well, you're also the co, so you're co-founder and CTO. That's right. Yeah. That's actually a good question in terms of getting involved with these kind of deals. So with Walmart in particular, I did not get directly involved. Um, the way, and I've read about this with, you know, how, how CTOs view their function as well. You know, some CTOs view their function to, to really be very involved with these kind of deals. For me, the way I view my role with those kind of uh, relationships uh, internally is really thinking about how evaluating these deals affects our technology stack, how it affects how productive uh, our team can be from it, how our team can leverage these kind of deals to build on top of our platform. So for example, uh, signature upon delivery is a feature that was requested to, to make these grocery deliveries work. Turns out that's also something that uh, we would need to make alcohol delivery work as well, right? So those kind of decision points, there's also more technical kind of platform choices as well that we think about when, when making these kind of uh, business decisions. Um, and so I don't really feel like I need to be in the room necessarily with, uh, you know, the other people um, uh, on the other side of the table there necessarily, but definitely considering, you know, the business feasibility, technology feasibility, of these kind of deals behind the scenes. Um, if I feel like I need to get involved, I definitely will, but uh, we have a lot of talented uh, people on the you know, BD side as well as on our product management and uh, engineering management side. So, um, yeah. Nice. I'm, so I'm curious, we were talking about this on the show, I think like two or three months ago, mm-hmm. because I saw Amazon and their big push for, you know, they, they started with their own delivery trucks, mm-hmm. but then they started pushing like, the fact that you could buy delivery trucks and Amazon small business delivering stuff. I don't know if you've seen that. That's just came across my plate recently. Yeah. But, but when I saw them doing that, I said, Oh, well, you know, they purchased uh, whole foods. Right. So yeah. I was like, well, the next step is I wonder if they're going to mix that at all, if they're going to do some delivery with the whole foods. And then you've got the, like the Uber eats. And when I, we were talking about it on the show and I said, Oh, it's, we actually brought up Walmart. And the reason why is because in my city, Walmart's like right next to it. <laughs> I was like, how, how's Walmart going to compete with that? You know? Right. And, and I actually, when we got off the, the episode, I can't remember, I'll have Jake look it up later for reference. But um, when we got off the episode, I actually went on LinkedIn and hunted down one of the leaders of technology at Walmart. 
And I sent him a message <laughs> about the topic of the conversation. Yeah. And I said, hey, he didn't respond. Uh -huh. But um, yeah, so that probably just like, was another thumbs up recognition that they need to close that deal. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the Amazon Walmart stuff, uh, yeah, it can be very competitive. And, and I think we, we do pay attention to what's going on in the landscape with particularly a lot of these bigger players in the retail space. Um, and even Amazon's been trying to get into the restaurant delivery space as well. But, um, you know, so far we haven't seen them really place too many bets behind it. And so, um, we, we feel pretty good about our offering to, to kind of power these uh, grocery deliveries for a company like Walmart or even for these national. I mean, one thing we're kind of trying to do as well is using the product that we actually use to integrate with Walmart is called DoorDash Drive. And so that's basically our fulfillment product. We're now trying to use that to power other kinds of deliveries from uh, things outside of restaurant food, but even, um, some big national chains, you know, they want to use that product to help them, you know, power their own logistics and stuff. So really cool opportunities that we're considering there. So I'm really excited for you as a leader, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have, we have a large audience, but about 60% of them are the next generation. Mm -hmm. And so they're real excited to step up in the leadership they're real excited to grow. And you've just gone through all of this. You mm -hmm. went from you know, graduating about five years ago, right? And then creating this. And now you guys are, I think you're over a billion dollar valuation, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. So you'd, you'd be called a unicorn leader. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. We're going to try to get that to catch on. But <laughs> no, but it, it, it's at the end of the day, it's rare, right? It's just, yeah. it's the reality of life. It's not good or bad. It's, it's literally, it's rare. And so you had this experience and everybody's always, um, I've had successful exits where the company grew and we built teams. And, you know, once you get past teams of teams, it's, I mean, you're at teams of teams, right? Yeah. And so going through those motions and when you get all that experience, it's amazing. So a couple questions for you. I'm just going to barrage you with them and you don't yeah, have to totally. all of them. Okay. Like when did you notice that all like, what was the feeling like? When did you notice that it started to do well and take off and grow? And then how did you begin to resource yourself? Tons of books, grabbing smart people, just a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that's a question I've gotten a few times in the past is like, when did we actually know this is going to be a big thing? Um, and quite honestly, there wasn't a singular moment at which it was like an aha moment for us. Um, you know, when we started the company, uh, before we launched as DoorDash, we're actually called Palo Alto Delivery. Um, and we were just uh, doing it every weeknight while we're still at school. And we were doing, you know, 10 to 20 deliveries a day, you know, and 2020 at that time was a big deal. Um, and now we're doing, you know, much, much more than that, obviously. But when you're in the very early stages, a lot of the growth comes from the founders willing it into existence. Um, and there's a, there's a myth out there where, yeah, I'm sure you, maybe you're familiar with this, but there's a myth out there that, you know, just if you have a great idea, people are just going to latch onto it and, you know, you're going to you know, grow like crazy. And that's absolutely not true, particularly in our experience where we were doing the deliveries ourselves in the early days. Um, and we learned so much from that uh, to the point where, uh, today, one of our big cultural traditions is to have all of our employees actually go out and dash every month. Um, but anyway, that was a big kind of driving force was just us getting down into it 
and doing the grind and hustle to actually make these deliveries happen. Um, and in terms of how I kind of caught up with it and how I was able to scale with the growth as we saw it coming in, I think a lot of being able to scale and grow, uh, first of all, you have to be willing to put yourself in an uncomfortable and chaotic environment. Um, and it was very chaotic and uncomfortable uh, for me. You're thinking about, for example, you're managing, you're hiring your first few engineers, all of them have more experience than you. Um, and you haven't managed anyone before as you know, uh, someone coming out of college. Uh, you can either run away from that. You can either say, hey, I think we need someone more experienced, which to be honest is not always the wrong call, but uh, just even being willing to dive in and say, hey, I got this. Um, and I'm going to figure it out, I think is a big mentality uh, that is really important to be able to wrangle these tough challenges. And later on, you know, I'm talking about the really early days now, but uh, that later on, there are some pretty challenging times we've had. Um, and, you know, startups, they always call them roller coasters for a reason. <laughs> and during the downtimes, if you let up or if you, uh, you just can't give up, I guess, that mentality. Like, uh, and in hindsight, I, both me observing myself personally as well as observing people that I've managed is the people who go through the tough times and stick through it it's almost always come out of it having learned much much more than they had so that's the one thing I would call out is just being able to handle the chaos and just be willing to dive into it uh, and another one is just having an open mind and self-awareness about what you don't know um, that would that be the second thing I would call out which um, for example, saying, Hey, I haven't managed anyone before, but you know, I think I know what it takes to manage people. Um, you know, if you get too overconfident there and think, you know, all the answers just by reading a few books, that's not super self-aware. <laughs> so just, uh, understanding what you don't know. And I think one thing I've learned a lot too, from being a founder is, there's a couple of things that you get as a founder that other people don't get uh, as immediately. One of the which is trust because you have such a big stake in the company. You've been there since day one. People trust your intentions. And so people are willing to give you a lot more slack. So for example, someone like me, uh, they're willing to give me a lot more slack because they know I'm trying to do my best uh, for them. And that's a very unique position to be in as a founder. Um, and you know, I think that combined with you know, being self-aware and being willing to throw myself into the chaos has kind of really allowed me to to grow into the role and and help scale the company. You you've you're speaking like the person who's been through it. <laughs> <laughs> I have yes. <laughs> I love it. Did you ever have like false starts before with other projects, like things that you wanted to do? Um. When so one of my co-founders, Stanley, we, we were, you know, dorm mates at Stanford. And so we would work on projects together every now and then, but um, it was really just tinkering. Uh, one thing I would actually encourage for people who are, you know, out there is particularly people who are still in college is, you know, take the time to really play with apps and build things that actually hit live traffic on your own. Um, you know, one project that we did uh, kind of earlier on was figuring out ways in which we can get people to carpool with each other a little bit more. Um, and that was kind of something that inspired uh, 
how we thought about our dispatch system. It turns out actually the system we we're building at the time was kind of very similar to what uh, Uber Pool and Lyft Line are trying to do today. Uh, but we didn't really think about it that way at the time. So that was kind of an interesting project we did. And how, how did that stop? Like at what point were you like, this is a cool project. We were just tinkering with it. Let's move on and do something else. Um, it depends. I mean, at that time, our mentality was so different. It was really about learning about different technologies and, and kind of the excitement of launching products that people actually use versus um, like, is this a real company or not? Um, and so, so with DoorDash, you went into it as, or I forgot you mentioned the previous name. Um, yeah. So Stanley, uh, my co-founder, and then Tony, our third co-founder, the CEO, uh, we were in a class together. Actually, it was a joint uh, class. It, it was in like the graduate school business and I think the design school. So that class was kind of more oriented towards, like, I think it was called Startup Garage. But basically that was like a class dedicated to like, hey, here's some things that you can try or tools that you can use to, to really bootstrap your own idea. Um, and so that was kind of a different mindset than just tinkering with projects. Um, but we, Stanley and I and Tony, the three of us, you know, we took the class, not with too much hopes coming into it, to be honest. I mean, but it, it ended up being a great opportunity for us to meet and, and uh, help us with the origin of DoorDash. So with the origin, you went into it with more than just tinkering? I mean, we, I mean, we were thinking about, hey, how do we service local businesses? So this was kind of talking to a point I, I talked about earlier in the podcast where we were really passionate about figuring out a way to help out local businesses. And that was a really like a different opportunity to really talk to customer or end users um, versus tinkering with a project being like, hey, there's this new technology that came out. How do I make that into a product? Whereas this, the mentality here was, hey, this is something we're passionate about. Let's talk to people and figure out what uh, pain points they actually have. So it was a pretty yeah, different mentality. Doesn't that make it so much better too? Like I started out and I had some early success and then I had some not so much success in between other successes, right? And in building these products, I found that it's so much worse when you're just in the background building, 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 and, and you're just building against what you think should happen. But when mm -hmm. you get people involved, it's like you get this different energy and you get this mm -hmm. momentum and it's this whole different world. It's like, it's not even what you thought product was before. It's like, now that you got people involved, it's amazing. That's a, one of the big uh, emphasis points we have here at DoorDash too. It's one of the biggest reasons why we encourage all of our employees and engineers to, to, to go out and dash every month is because we want them interacting with users. Um, and that's so important. And particularly, you know, for us, when we think about DoorDash is a three-sided marketplace, there's consumers, there's dashers, there's merchants. It's hard for you to grok that as an engineer if you're just building code and dog fooding the product, you're really only able to dog food the consumer side of the product on a you know habitual basis. And so even dashing every month is good, but even then, you're still not scratching the surface as much on the merchant side. And so for us, that's why we really try to emphasize, you know, talk to people, go visit stores, um, go out and dash every month. Um, and, and another thing that's kind of an interesting nuance about our business too, and some other businesses out there is it's a very hyper local business. So your experience in Florida is going to be totally different than my experience in San Francisco for a variety of reasons due to the logistics, restaurant selection, uh, preference of the people who are in the market. So um, 
it can be tempting as an engineer to kind of sit in your ivory tower and HQ and just kind of figure out things just by intuiting them. But you know, that, that's a very dangerous trap to fall into. Totally agree with that. So I subscribe to the mentality of like always ask questions, even if people think they're dumb. Right. Mm -hmm. So I've never heard dog fooding a product before. Can you explain this to me? Oh yeah, totally. So dog fooding a product is essentially having your uh, engineers or your employees use the product internally before it gets launched. Oh, eat the dog food. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah Drink yeah. the Kool-Aid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. I got it. That's interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. See, I'm glad I asked. Yeah, no, great question. It's like we translated it. It's like, I have a, <laughs> I have a phrase for that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. You've, we're expanding our vocabulary right now, my friend. This is exciting. Absolutely. So I, I saw some of your, your writing or the things you're posting online about um, you know, starting engineering function from the ground up, mm -hmm. challenges and successes, mm -hmm. starting the team at DoorDash. Real quickly, what comes to mind as some of the, the big lessons that you've learned with scaling your engineering? There's quite a few. Um, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. I think one, one thing I would like to talk about is I think I, I, I just I started uh, posting on Twitter uh, mainly because I got inspired by a few things to, to start sharing my thoughts more publicly. One, one topic I want to talk about is, which I posted a little bit about on Twitter is, um, I've gotten to see over the past five years how people either really accelerate their career growth in a chaotic environment like a high growth startup, or they don't. Um, and one of the biggest things I've seen is the people who are just willing to throw themselves, it, it kind of goes back to my own scaling experiences. And a lot of uh, the, the reasons and motivations why engineers or people in general want to join startups is because they want to learn a lot. Um, and so what I try to tell people is if you want to do that for yourself and you want to expedite your career growth, you have to join places where there's a lot of things going on and they're actually experiencing growth. I think people mistake, sometimes mistake, uh, you know, startup with uh, career growth because there are some, some opportunities out there that are really awesome if you want to be, have a high ownership over the product or you want to have uh, a really tight-knit community with your team. And that's a, that's a totally great motivation. But for some people I've talked to who are really interested in, like, how do I become a senior manager or get to executive level really quickly, joining a startup? Um, to gain those kind of uh, senior skills, you have to go into a place where those opportunities will come into existence. And for example, as a manager, if you want to grow into a management role really quickly, you're not going to be able to grow into a management role quickly if the team you're joining is not growing very quickly because the, literally the opportunities for management will not come around unless you know a manager leaves or what have you. And so that's something that um, I've tried to encourage people as a, I don't want to just talk about team growth, but look at the growth of the business, look at the growth of the team. Um, valuations can be uh, deceiving at times, but sometimes that's all the information you have, but it's not really about the valuation. It's really about how the business is growing and how the team is growing. And if you join a place where those things are changing very rapidly, then you're going to throw yourself in an environment where you're going to have to learn to adapt. So. That was one of the big lessons I've learned and I've tried to convey to people when they come to me and ask, hey, how, how, one, how did you get into the position you're in today? How do I get into a position where I can quickly scale into 
uh, doing quote unquote uh, senior things. Um, whether as an IC or a manager, that, that's the advice I'd give. Yeah. So I like what you're talking about right now because this is, um, this is something that has, you know, I talk about so much and with so many different people. So I have this like condensed 130, 140 CTOs like perspective in it. And when all that started to happen, I started to see these like different, like, these different ways of looking at the same thing. So when you're talking about going to like a larger existing company mm-hmm. and, and versus a smaller one, the thing that was going through my head when you were saying that is I started to look at business in a very literal way of these systems of repeatable, scalable processes. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you know, here's the program, run the program. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how we respond to this. This is how we do that. And so all these processes stack up and then that's how you can scale them. And, and so when you're at a, a large existing company, those processes are well thought out and they don't change very much, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They change as the market demands them. But when you're at a company that's growing and rapidly expanding, those processes are being created and modified rapidly okay. until they find some sort of you know, semi-permanence or permanence. And so when you get to be a part of that creation of systems process, and, under, and that's why everyone says, oh, it's okay to fail startups. You're failing a lot more often. You get a lot more experience. Yeah, what you're doing is you're finding the, the repeatable thing. You're finding the thing that's going to work, and then you're ensuring that you transition from creation of it to management of it to delegation of it, right? Because mm-hmm. those are the, you got you to gotta create it, then you got to manage it on its initial as the manager, and then you have to delegate out a manager and then go up and then do it again and then do it again and do it again. Okay. And people are like, <laughs> it's not like, it's not, it's, if you learn to love it, congratulations, you can do anything in life. Like I, I love it, but first of all, it's not that clear or obvious. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, when you do figure it out, how to move between the stages and, and grow it, it's a lot of fun because it gives you a lot of power yeah. um, and confidence. So I see you smiling right now as I'm talking about this. It's, it's, it's exciting at times. Definitely. And I think one thing that particularly with co-founders and, and CTOs and non CTO co-founders is really finding the balance of figuring out how to learn those things on your own versus bringing people from the outside who, who've kind of seen it before. And, and that's a really tricky thing to navigate is figuring out how, how do you, you know, bringing in directors, bringing in, you know, as a CEO, bringing in other executives into the team. It can be a tricky balance because you want to bet on the people who are growing internally at the same time there's a big cost to to kind of learning on the fly as well and so there's a it's a kind of a double-edged sword in that sense um you're balancing it out exactly yeah Yeah. that's that's a fun one those are the ones that are like that are like the real the real difficult decisions those are the ones you think about quite a bit all right well if i move mary over here or if i bring john in for this how would this person perform? And then you're, you just got to, then you're like balancing, all right, I'm spending too long making a decision. Now I just got to decide. And uh, it's just, it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. So you're clearly very passionate about the work. When did you first fall in love with technology? When did you first get introduced to, to code or the whole, the whole world of this? I grew up in Silicon Valley. So I had a very unique opportunity to be exposed to code and technology pretty early on in my life. I probably, I don't remember when I wrote my first program, but it was probably when I was like seven years old. Um, And I was kind of around computers all the time. And that was something that was always kind of a hobby or passion of mine growing up. 
And when I went to college, I, I was pretty set on doing something related to computer science. And that was going to college and meeting people who come in from literally across the globe. Uh, you come to realize how fortunate you are. And for me, being in that position to, to have been that long of an exposure to technology. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's it's kind of something that I, I've been doing for a very long time. So you're not in like the crazy big city. You're just in your hometown. That's right. I love it. I mean, I, I grew up in Cupertino, so that that is a tech 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 area too. Um, and I guess when I went to college, I didn't really think that much about Cupertino. But then people are like, Cupertino, that's where Apple is. And so, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. The uh, oh man, I love it. Cause yeah, cause I'm I'm in my hometown too. Where and it's like a it's a vacation town, so there's like a lot of older people. But in in one sense, I was very lucky. So my my father was an engineer, and so he was actually he got his education in the Air Force, and they taught him to put GPS systems into the B thirty two stealth bombers. So that, they're like, we have a very stealthy plane. Now we just need to add some GPS to it, right? Oh, I see. <laughs> and right, so they he was on that team that did that, and. Uh, so he got his education there with some embedded systems and programming and technology. And then he did that when he got out of the Air Force and then he taught me. I was, I was about eight years old when he had me writing my first programs, mm-hmm. looking through memory buffers and stuff like that. But um, were your parents into technology? Yeah, they were. My parents were into technology. And um, I mean, I think one thing I've come to learn about that is uh, I, even though I kind of had a long tenure being exposed to technology, um, my co-founder, Stanley, he, he actually didn't have that much exposure to computer science until he, he got to college. And so one of the things I'm pretty fascinated about now is just how accessible it can be now to kind of train yourself up on, on things related to computer science and technology. And, and one of the things that uh, we're trying to figure out is how do we tap into that to, to really uh, expand the talent pool that's in the industry. And that, that's, that's, that's something that I've come to realize as I've grown up is even though I had that long exposure to technology, that advantage, uh, kind of evaporates very quickly in an environment where so many people have that exposure. My, my co-founder Stanley is a great example of that. And I think that's a positive thing. Um, and so now, I mean, this is kind of switching topics a little bit, but now thinking about how, there's so much more exposure to computer science. Computer science recently became the most popular major at Stanford. Um, and there's different kinds of things that open up for you know people who haven't, pre- like people like me who grew up in Silicon Valley aren't the only people who have an opportunity to kind of have the impact I have. So You're going to give a, a commencement speech? Huh? You, you got to give a Stanford, I was listening to Elon, Elon Musk's uh, Stanford <laughs> yeah. commencement speech as I was driving to work the other day and uh you got to give one you got you got to get on that list oh yeah I mean yeah maybe maybe in a long time (laughs) (laughs) that'd be a lot of fun though right because and and it makes sense more because you're you're a native right so to the area you're native to the region Uh, even though I'm not even though I'm like 45 minutes away from Tampa like I'm a native to Tampa to the rest of the world you Mm -hmm. know so uh discipline right? You, you have to have discipline to get to where you are today. I, I learned a lot of my discipline in when I was 
first getting really excited about deals happening, you know, the first time you get a big check or the first time you have some like a, uh, that first rush of users, you're just like sitting there and you're like, I, you know, I'm in the shell and like, mm-hmm. just continue like refreshing user.count. Like, come on, come on, come on. Like look how many people are joining, getting all pumped up. And then, um, I realized that getting that excitement is, is detrimental if you allow yourself to, um, get caught up in it or spend too much time in it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I learned, and this is just from my experience, I learned, all right, when I get excited, knowledge, all right, I'm excited. And then go back to work because your work is what created that excitement. And if you run off in the excitement, then the work that you did to replicate, that's not going to happen. Oh, absolutely. Um, We we're kind of, uh, I think with DoorDash, because we're in such a big space and uh, it's a very competitive space. And I think the reason, a big reason why it's competitive is because the opportunity here is so big, but because it's been so competitive, even from day one, the names of the, the players have changed over time, but uh, you know, it's always been a very exciting competitive space. And what that's really drawn out of us was kind of a little bit of what you're saying is that mentality of you got the win, but there's so much more you got to do. Um, and being able to live that grind and, always looking for the next thing is very crucial actually to, to keeping yourself motivated and keeping your team motivated to get things done. And even today, I don't think we're nearly where we could be. And as a company, I mean, just thinking about the restaurant delivery space, just within the United States is so massive. And then you think about the grocery opportunities we have, you think about the other opportunities to power local logistics beyond uh, restaurant food and grocery there's just so much to do and i'm not even talking about canada right in other parts of the world yet and so having that mentality of you know there's still so much more to do is extremely important at the same time one thing i've come to learn is you you do have to cherish those moments every now and then <laughs> because um it, it can be tough it's you know it's very much of a grind for you and you know as much of a grind as it is for the founders, you're putting employees through a very similar grind as well. And you want to make sure that you're, you're, you you have their back and, and that you're showing them that you care about them and that you appreciate the work they're putting in. So uh, relating to a point I said earlier, it's you, you got to find that balance of staying motivated and hungry and, and making sure you're celebrating some of the wins along the way. Dude, it's all about the balance. Like with every, that's like my asterisk for every piece of advice. I'm going to tell you to do this, but you have to balance it against everything. Like I had a moment, I was very excited this month because uh, I found out, I got this email and I was like, oh, you've been listed on entrepreneurs like 40 under 40 for this year. I'm like, like, what? I'm like, are you kidding me? And so like, yeah, I I spent the afternoon like calling my dad and like, you know, you know, it's been an hour or two, like call my dad, call my wife, be like, you guys won't believe, believe this. This is like, I'm, like, I'm really pumped up. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was pretty cool. But then I'm like, all right, I got to go back to work. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you got to share those wins and then you got to get back to it. Yeah. A little, little bit of celebration. And then, you know, it, and like what you were saying, it's, it's about falling in love with getting to the next level. Like you have to love completing the level you're on and then that that transition of like all right i'm on level six of 52 mm-hmm. like we've got some i'm not done yet like yeah. i'm young man like like let's do this can you i'm just so pumped i get excited for the anticipation of like where i'm going to be when i'm 50 mm-hmm. oh you know it's like if you can fall in love with the hustle and then the business and and um 
you know, I think for me, it's more like growing myself. Yeah. Really. Like it's, you know, I'm always improving. Like yesterday I went to the dentist and I'm like, Hey, how can I improve my teeth to be a little bit better? And then about a month ago, I started going to the gym and I was like, yeah, you know what? Like I want bigger arms. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always doing my, like, Oh, my finance, like my, my business side of thing, my sales, my marketing, my code, my you know, learning different things about structuring objects and the, every single thing I could efficiency, the, you know, what's going on with Kubernetes, how I scale Heroku, this, that, the other. I'm always so focused on like filling my mind with stuff. And then I was like, you know, I'm going to shift some of this and balance it. There we go. There's the balance. I'm going to balance it out and, and, um, put some of that love towards my, my body. And because you only get one of those, man. Yeah. Right. Taking care of yourself is very key to, to kind of living and surviving the, the startup roller coaster for sure. Yeah, Andy, you got me all motivated. I don't usually talk this much in the podcast. I usually just ask questions, but I'm all like, pumped <laughs> up. I'm like, yeah, it's so you're, you're right now. You're like in, uh, how far are you from San Francisco? Uh, we actually relocated our office to San Francisco now. So even though we started the company in Palo Alto, we moved to San Francisco back in 2015. Okay. Um, so yeah, we're, we're dead center. You know, do you know Fred from SIF Science? I do not. I would suggest that you know him because he's in, I was just out in San Francisco like a month ago yeah. meeting a bunch of past guests from the show. We got this lovely mug uh, from William Sonoma. Oh, fun. Yeah. Dude, they're an awesome company. Do you know who they are? Yeah, yeah, well, no, they're they're local. Yeah, so uh, I went and did some research for the show, and so I went to I went to experience their system. So I went into a Williams Sonoma and bought a mug and everything, uh-huh. and uh, and then when I went to talk to them, I found out that they own like they're this larger group and they own Pottery Barn, and they just bought this um, like AR uh, digitization style mm-hmm. company because they have so many products and they were digitizing them and putting them into the, you know, AR style applications. I'm sure you've seen those, mm-hmm. right? See what it looks like on your kitchen countertop, man, he is really smart. He's a really great, uh, really great on leadership too. Yazer. There's, there's a lot of great leadership talent in San Francisco. I think a big reason why a lot of, uh, there, there's a poll because people realizing that talent in San Francisco is so expensive at the same time, a big reason why startups tend to gravitate <laughs> to staying or, or moving to San Francisco is because a lot of the talent, leadership talent is here. Um, yeah. So not, not surprised to hear, hear you talk about it that way. Yeah. But if you want to talk to, if you want to be connected to Fred or Yazer, sure. I, will, I will email you, connect you, if, if you find any benefit from them. Um, they're both, um, you know, like 40s and 50s. But yeah, I, I got to hang out with them in person, um, or at least Fred, you know, last month when I was in San Francisco mm-hmm. and just like really great people. And, you know, he, he wrote Google payments and sold a startup to Google. And then he went and did Sif science. And, uh, but anyways, I always like to connect great people. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the next time I'm out in San Francisco in a couple months, uh, might be giving a talk and then I'll stop by and say, hey, hi to you. Sure. Yeah. That'd, that'd be awesome. Good to have you here. What advice would you, are you a fan of Elon Musk? Yeah. I mean, I respect a lot of what he's done. Yeah. I know he's in the news a lot right now. But. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to like stay to it too close to that, but uh, I can't, you can't argue with some of the accomplishments he's had. Right. So he calls you up. He says, what up? You know, maybe he's driving through Sanford or San Francisco and his Tesla or he's boring under the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and you go over and hang out with him. He's got a time machine. You go in the time machine, you go back 10 years. Right? Mm-hmm. 
your previous self, you get to give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Mm, I think the advice I'd give myself is, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a profound kind of question. The advice I would give myself is what, there's no one right way to, to get to where you want to go. Um, and I think particularly when you're younger, you always think about, hey, what did this person do? What did that person do? In reality, you got to forge your own path. So um, that, that, that's the advice I would tell myself and encourage myself on. Beautiful. It was yeah. poetic. I love it. <laughs> I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. <laughs> and then you, right now, you've been hanging around a little bit online on Twitter. So if people want to go follow you or look you up, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's just Andy Fang. Andy Fang. I got, I got lucky. I got to get my full name. A-N-D-Y-F-A-N-G. That's right. That's a pretty sharp name, too. Because my brother okay. used to work at Twitter, so uh, he was able to get me that handle. And that's actually how we got the DoorDash Twitter handle, too. Nice. So Good. Older brother, younger brother? Older brother. How, how much older? Uh, two years older. He's actually working at uh, Limebike now, uh, which is the, one of the scooter companies. Um, and, and we're actually figuring out how to potentially leverage partnerships with companies like Limebike or Bird or what have you to, to kind of use alternative transportation models to, to power uh, our delivery. So it's, that's been kind of exciting. Is that like a, they like you rent them or something? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's yeah. Yeah. I saw some scooters when I was in San Francisco. It was just like a dollar to start. And I was mm -hmm. like, that's kind of cool. Have you seen those hanging around? Yeah. So that's, so my, yeah. So that's what I'm referring to. Those oh, that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. Andy, we did it. We yeah. made a podcast. Wow. We won. <laughs> That's great. That is. We get some points. We win today. Is, is there anything else that, uh, I guess we're approaching time, I guess. So. Yeah. It's, we don't really, um, I have like things I really want to ask Andy. Mm -hmm. I guess, I mean, I think one thing that um, I guess would be good to talk about is just thinking about DoorDash and, and some of the technology challenges we have. I think for people who use the app, it can be easy to overlook some of the kind of technology problems that we have. So I think maybe just glossing over those really quickly. One of the big challenges we have, and I mentioned this early in the podcast too, is just how we have to balance out a three-sided marketplace. So you think about drivers, you think about merchants, you have consumers. So there's a lot of product surface area that we have to cover there. Um, and then when you dive down into making a delivery experience seem easy and intuitive, uh, a lot of things that we have to figure out in terms of how do we make our drivers as efficient as possible. Uh, when you're thinking about partnering, potentially partnering with other companies or building alternative vehicles in-house uh, and figuring out how, how, how do you match drivers to orders in the most optimal way possible. Um, that can be a pretty challenging, not only a machine learning problem because you have to predict supply and demand, as well as be able to predict, for example, how long it takes for a restaurant to prepare an order. But it's also an operations research problem. So you think about like a traveling salesman problem, how do you optimize that in real time? Um, that's a pretty challenging task at hand. Um, and so, you know, there, there's a lot that goes on underneath the surface that, that makes it a very exciting uh, space to try to grow into and, and uh, get coverage in. So I'm curious and, I don't even know if I'm allowed to ask this question, but with all the GDPR stuff going on, although we're in the States, like I would just, when you were saying that, what was running through my head was, oh, I would keep like my own proprietary data on like 
typical like individual restaurants to when they happen to be delayed. So I could, you know, structure that into my delivery because you want people to have hot, fresh food and you don't want drivers to wait and you want everyone to have expectations. Do you guys have to do that type of stuff? We, we, we definitely try to keep track of like how long it takes for a restaurant to prepare food, for example. Um, we don't expose it to the end user necessarily, but we try to use it to inform, for example, when do we send a driver over to pick up the order? Because one of the biggest inefficiencies in the system can be if you send a driver to a restaurant and they're waiting for the order to get made. Um, and so that, 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 that is what kind of kills the efficiency. That, that's what makes the system kind of slow down. So that's really one of the primary ways we use it. And we also use it to inform merchants on how they can better their own in-store operations as well, which is a really key part of making the whole flywheel work. Yeah, so you, so you own some of your vehicles, right? That you do deliveries? We, we are piloting the alternative vehicle types. I mean, the, the vast, vast majority of our deliveries happen through uh, you know, people driving their own vehicles, whether they're bikes, scooters, or cars to deliver orders. Uh, we oh, do, that's awesome. Yeah. We do try to have in-house stuff, but that's some of that is not. We're we're piloting, I would say, and experimenting and tinkering internally, but nothing nothing too crazy out there yet. Nice, yeah. Because and not to you know talk about like competitors, like or if they are competitors, I don't even know because I'm not super in this business. Yeah, there's this one that's called like something bite that they look they look almost like a franchise. Um, they popped up next to the place I take guitar lessons, so. <laughs> I saw them. They were, um, they're just called something bite. And, uh, do you know what I'm talking about? You cut out a little bit. I think you're, we're talking about bite squad. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bite squad. squad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think they, they actually am not too familiar with kind of how they do things at a much detail level, but that's definitely a name that's come up every now and then. And I think they have their own branded vehicles, uh, which might be what you're referring to. But I just saw their, their vehicles wrapped Bite squad. And I was like, I was, I was curious if that's, are they, they're like a national thing? Are they a franchise? I don't even know if they're on your radar as like a competitor. I mean, we always try to keep everyone on our radar. That's one of the, the skills we've learned as we've kind of tried to navigate this massive industry with uh, players. Um, you know, I think one thing that we, we appreciate is that a, a player like Bite Squad has presence in particular localities. Um, and, and one of the big challenges we have trying to grow our business, uh, which makes it very difficult, yet very kind of defensible, is figuring out how to navigate all these hyper-local competitive landscapes. And, and Bite Squad's a, kind of an example of a, a, a solid local player. So they, they'll just like appear in some, lo- like some very specific markets? Yeah, I mean, and then in different places, there's different players. And I think over time, we've seen the market somewhat consolidate. Um, and so over time we, we feel very confident in our ability to kind of gain our presence in different areas, but being able to understand the different local players and why they've been successful is really key to us building that intuition ourselves and improving the product in, in given markets. Nice. Well, I'm, I'm team DoorDash, by the way. Yeah. That's I got I'm going to get a shirt made. Okay. It's going to be like hashtag team DoorDash. That's great. Do you guys have cool like swag and stuff like that that your people wear? We, I mean, we always now and then have swag. Uh, we we did a brand redesign, I think, at the beginning of the year that was you know really well received by uh, folks both internally and and I guess people externally that we 
uh, surveyed out to. So, you know, I love it. It's modern and clean, man. Yeah. Thank you. Your website's beautiful. It's like, Oh, it looks, it makes me hungry. Right. Thank you. And, And I think one thing we're trying to do over time is figure out ways in which we can make it accessible, not only to restaurant delivery, but you know, grocery delivery or other kinds of things as well. So always constantly involving the product but um you're gonna do great i mean you're already doing great Mm -hmm. you're gonna have continued success because look i mean i talk to companies of all sizes all the time and yeah you start to see when you get hit a volume of you know the billion dollar companies do things that billion dollar companies do the successful people do things that successful people do you're you're at the top you just gotta not let up and keep grinding. You're going to be Absolutely. exactly where you want to be. I mean, DoorDash is going to dominate, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because yeah. I'm wearing the shirt. I'm wearing a Team DoorDash shirt. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> awesome. Man, this is this has been like, I really like you, Andy. Yeah. Thanks, Joel. It was great to have, uh, you know, thanks for having me on your show. And it was great to, good to have this conversation with you. Awesome. Talk to you soon, Andy. All right. Take care. Thanks so much. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.